Welcome to Time Travelling Team, the weekly podcast where we review every story of Doctor Who right from the very beginning. I'm Paddy. And I'm Trisha. Today we'll journey with the TARDIS crew to Galaxy 4. We'll be talking the Doctor, the companions, the villains, and giving our thoughts on the story as a whole. We would also love to hear your thoughts on this story, and to join in the discussion, you can check us out at Time Team, that's T-I-M-E-T-E-A-M-P, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or you can email us at timetravellingteam at teamproductions.com. Now though, on to the story recap. Episode 1, 400 Dawns. The Tarnus lands in a desert-like region with nothing but sand and dry earth to see for miles around. Inside, Vicky is giving Stephen a haircut as the Doctor is examining their surroundings through the external scanner. The Doctor points out that despite the planet being able to sustain life, the surrounding area seems to be completely devoid of any. They decide to take a little R&R and do a bit of exploring. Suddenly, they can hear something prodding around the TARDIS. Whatever it is, they assume it to be blind as it bangs back and forth into the ship. This is at least partly true as we are shown exactly what is outside, a robot. It is a small waist-high machine that looks like several rings of decreasing size stacked up on top of each other, very reminiscent of a child's toy. The travellers observe the machine as it goes around, extending an antenna from its head as if it was scanning the TARDIS, and Vicky decides to give it the nickname of a Chumbly due to the sound of its movement. The Doctor reassesses his earlier statement and says that there is most definitely life on the planet, a highly intelligent one he is curious to meet. They go outside and they notice that there are three suns in the sky above them, but it doesn't appear to be suffering from the excess heat. They see some shrubs with flowers on them, and that coupled with the stillness reminds the Doctor of their adventure at the Space Museum, but he reassures Vicky that they are within the normal flow of time. As they are talking, the Chumley approaches them with a gun extended from its body. The Doctor urges his companions to remain calm while he thinks of the best way to approach the situation, but Stephen picks up a rock to use as a weapon. The Chumley turns his weapons on him, but the Doctor intervenes. He deduces that the machines are visually blind and require either heat or sensory scanners to navigate their way around. The Chumley bumps into them repeatedly, evidently trying to get them to go somewhere. As a motivationary show of force, it blasts one of the shrubs causing it to burst into flames. The travellers have no other option but be herded onwards. As they make their way to the Chumbly's lair, they are observed by two women who are lying in wait with some metal mesh netting. They immobilise the Chumbly with the net and introduce themselves as the Draven. Stephen is enamoured with them, but they ignore his flattery, addressing the travellers in a very direct and brusque manner. They say they have been sent to rescue the travellers at the command of their leader, Maga. They inform them that the Chumleys are the servitors of a race called the Rills, a murderous race of creatures. The Doctor is reluctant to take the Dravens at face value, but agrees to go with them when more Chumleys arrive on the scene. The Dravens try to retrieve the mesh netting from the immobilized Chumley, but it has become magnetised to the shell of the robot, and so they are forced to leave it behind as they flee. The newly arrived Chumleys free their fellow servitor from the mesh via extendable grappling hands and resume the pursuit of their targets. The Travellers and the Dravens manage to make it back to the Draven ship and are introduced to Maga. After reprimanding her subordinates for losing the mesh netting, which seems to be their most effective weapon against the Chumleys, she welcomes the travellers and tells them that they have wandered into a life or death struggle between the Dravens and the Rills. She informs them that the planet will be destroyed by a cataclysmic event in 14 days' time, and the only way off the planet is via the Rills spaceship, which is currently undergoing repairs. Their ship is too badly damaged due to being shot down by the Rills while they were sur- surveying the planet for potential colonisation. She tells them of her planet Drava, which is a matriarchal society where a small population of males are kept as servitors. 
She also informs them that most of the women on the planet are drone clones, who mainly serve in a military capacity under authentic Draven leaders. She tells the group that the rules are not native to the planet either, as they return fire and shot them down as well. Her xenophobic description of the rills as dirt seems to cement the growing attitudes of the travellers towards the Dravens, but their discussions are cut short when a sentry announces the arrival of the Chumleys. She orders the soldiers to battle stations and turn off the radio as she refuses to listen to any more real lies and propaganda of mutual assistance. After repelling the Chumleys, the doctor offers to verify the rills' claims, and Maga accepts, on the condition that one of them remain behind not as a hostage, but to reduce the number of targets for the Rills. Vicky offers to stay behind, and the Doctor reluctantly agrees when she says Stephen will be more of a help if they encounter the Chumleys. After they leave, Vicky watches as Maga verbally abuses the soldiers for the loss of the net. Back at the TARDIS, the Doctor and Stephen observe a Chumley trying to bypass the ship's force field, but to no avail. It sends a communication to the Rills and then leaves. Once they have made certain that the coast is clear, the Doctor and Stephen enter the TARDIS and consult the astral map. The Doctor then makes a startling discovery. The planet does not have 14 days before it disintegrates. It has two. Episode 2. Trap of Steel Stephen says that they need to go and warn the Draven, but before they can leave, they spot a Chumley on the view screen carrying some sort of device. It leaves it by the TARDIS door and retreats back, causing the Doctor and Stephen to wonder what it is. Their curiosity is soon answered when the ship is rocked by a series of violent explosions. Stephen helps the Doctor to his feet, who in turn reassures his young companion by saying that it would take a significantly more force to even slightly damage the TARDIS. They witness the Chumley retreat into the distance and use it as an opportunity to escape. On the Draven ship, Vicky is making no attempt to hide her distaste for Maga and the Draven provisions. Her requests to be allowed to go look for her friends are denied, as Maga fears that they would use it as an opportunity to leave in the TARDIS. The Doctor and Stephen arrive back at the Draven ship, and Stephen comments on the structural makeup of the ship, citing the thickness and resistance of being of an inferior makeup. They go back inside and reunite with Vicky. Maga locks the door behind him and asks the Doctor if he was able to confirm what the Rills said. He declines to give her his recent findings, and Maga says that they will need to help them capture the Rills ship so they can escape. She shows no remorse in the decision, again making hateful comments towards the Rills, but the Doctor refuses to assist her saying that he never kills and that he has only her word in relation to the Rills' malicious nature. The travellers try to convince her to join with the Rills so they can leave together, but she refuses and pulls a gun on them. Stephen tries to disarm her, but he is surrounded by a returning patrol. Maga then threatens to kill Vicky unless the Doctor tells what he found out about the fate of the planet. He reveals the truth of what he has found, and so she orders him to get to the Rills' ship for her. She tries to take Vicky hostage again as a bargaining chip, but this time Stephen says he will stay. She tries to object, but the travellers refuse to help otherwise. As they leave, the Doctor wonders that if the Chumleys are as malevolent as Maga claims that they are, why they haven't destroyed the Draven ship already with their superior weaponry. Vicky reminds him that they are on the clock, and so they set off for the real ship. On the Draven ship, Stephen is trying to turn the soldiers against Maga, pointing out that Maga eats better food than they do. He also questions them as why she doesn't give them her gun when they go out into her patrol due to the fact that the soldier said it was capable of destroying a chumley. He tries to convince the soldiers to give him a gun so that he can help in the defence of the ship, but Mag interrupts them and sends the soldiers away. She tries to convince him to take her and the others in the TARDIS so that they can leave, but he points out that he cannot fly the ship. He says maybe she can proposition the doctor about it, but she orders him away. After he leaves, one of the soldiers asks when they will kill him, and Maga replies she will do it when she is ready. 
In the meantime, she instructs some of her soldiers to go onto the the real ship. Uh, When they are distracted by the doctor, they are to kill everyone on board. The doctor and Vicky are observing a patrolling chumney they came across on the way to the real ship. After observing, noting, collating and concluding their data with the chumley, Vicky throws a stone at it, much to the annoyance of the doctor. However, she points out that her theory worked as she threw the stone at the rear of the machine and it didn't notice, indicating the chumleys can only pick up on what's in front of them. They decide that they have no other option, they run down to the chumley and fall in line behind it, hoping it would lead them to the real ship. They eventually arrive at the ship and they can see drilling equipment out operating outside of it. They investigate it and notice that it is hooked up to some sort of air purifier or converter. As they progress, they encounter several patrolling chumleys and do their best to avoid them. They also notice an increasingly strong smell that Vicky identifies as ammonia. They end up in a room full of chumleys in various states of repair, and as they are looking around, Vicky screams when she sees a large, scaly creature looking at them through a window. Episode 3 Airlock The Doctor and Vicky flee the repair shop when they hear the chumleys approaching. As they are making their way out, an iron gate descends from the roof and splits the duo up, trapping Vicky inside the ship. In an effort to negotiate for her release, the Doctor starts to tamper with an atmospheric processor, citing the fact that the rills need ammonia in the air to survive, hence why they have not been seen outside. A Chumley arrives, but rather than shoot them, he beckons Vicky to walk with her, and the Doctor urges her to go with it, as it will give him more time to sabotage the air processor, thereby giving him a stronger negotiating position later on. She reluctantly goes with them, and the Doctor resumes his tinkering. On the Draven ship, The soldiers ask Maga why she is deviating from routine by not ordering them to go out on patrol. She laments the fact that the clones are only bred for war and to follow orders and that there is no one of them on the ship that can talk strategy with her. She informs them of a new plan that she has been musing over. If the Doctor can bring the real ship back to them in one way or the other, they will hijack and escape from the planet, leaving both the Rills and the Travellers to die when it disintegrates. She seems to briefly relish this thought before giving new instructions to the soldiers. One of them will guard Stephen, while another goes to check on the Doctor and Vicky's progress, and those remaining will rest. However, none of them realise that Stephen has been awake the whole time and has heard everything. He waits and watches as the guards begin to fall asleep. As quietly as possible, he puts himself into a sitting position and then makes his move, knocking out the guard and taking her weapon. Before he can leave though, Maga appears and pulls a gun on him, ordering him to stop. He runs outside, but sees a chumley patrolling, and he retreats back inside, but Maga traps him between the exterior and external doors, revealing the entranceway to be an airlock. On the real ship, Vicky is escorted back to the repair station. When it starts to aggressively nudge her onwards, she snaps at it, demanding to know what they want with her. She is shocked when the machine starts to speak back to her, using the playback of her voice to learn her language. The real appears at the window again and reveals that it is communicating with her through the chumley. It tells Vicky that the Draven have been lying to her as they didn't attack the Draven initially. When the two ships encountered each other in space, the Rills stayed in orbit for three days as they were unsure if they would be attacked. Their fears proved correct and the Draven opened fire when the Rills ship turned to fly away. Both craft shot each other down and when they landed, the Rills set about building the atmospheric converter so they could breed properly. They went out to investigate the area and encountered a wounded Draven who they tried to help but was forced away from the scene by Maga. They observed her execute the wounded soldier, and Vicky informs the Rill that the rest of the Draven are under the impression that the Rill murdered their colleague. Vicky asks if the Rill can come out, and he says he cannot, as not all the chambers in the ship have an ammonia-based atmosphere. Vicky suddenly remembers the Doctor and warns the Rills about what he is doing. The Doctor is nearly finished sabotaging the atmospheric processor when Vicky rushes in and tells him to stop. 
The Rills communicate with him and both they and Vicky convince him of their honest intentions. The Doctor wishes for a face-to-face meeting, but the Rills advise that their countenance is not pleasing to the human eye and they remain shielded from sight. The Doctor informs them that their estimations of planet's disintegration date are wrong and tells them what he learned from the astral map. Unfortunately, they do not have enough fuel nor enough time to convert an adequate amount from their ammonia supplies. The Doctor says he can help them take off, but he will need some equipment from the TARDIS. Suddenly, a message comes in from the Chumley near the Draven ship and informs him of Stephen's escape attempt. Vicky suggests going back for him, but the Doctor says that he should be able to take care of himself. At the Draven ship, Stephen is given a few options, drop his gun and be taken prisoner again, try and fight his way in and be killed, go out and face the Chumley, or suffocate in the airlock. Maga then starts to vent the air from the chamber, forcing Stephen to make a choice. At the real ship, the Chumley reports what is going on, and the Doctor and Vicky rush to Stephen's rescue, accompanied by two Chumleys that can help them cut their way into the ship. En route, they encountered the Draven Scout and tried to convince her that the Chumleys are under their control, but she opens fire on the machines, forcing Vicky and the Doctor to intervene. They disarm, and instead of killing her, as she pleaded, they instead take her prisoner. On the Draven ship, Stephen decides to face off against the Chumley, but Mag informs him that the pressure is too low for the exterior door to work, thereby trapping Stephen inside as he begins to suffocate. Episode 4 The Exploding Planet The Doctor and Vicky and the Chumleys arrive at the Draven ship and realise that there is not a moment to lose. One Chumley fires an ammonia gas grenade into the ship, distracting Maga and her troops while the other Chumley blasts open the airlock door to free Stephen. He is too weak to stand and the Doctor and Vicky try to get him back on his feet so they can escape. Maga and the rest of the Draven try to stop them, but the Chumleys stop them and the Rills speak through them, or ushering the Doctor and his companions away whilst telling Maga to take her troops back into the ship. The Rills announce that their tolerance for Maga has reached its end and they are no longer adhering to their pacifist ways if she or the Draven attempt to leave the ship again. A Chumley is left behind to stand guard, but Maga has no intention of quietly obeying the command of the Rills. As punishment for being captured by the Doctor and Vicky, Maga orders the Draven soldier to sneak out via another hatch at nightfall and destroy the Chumley guarding them. At the real ship, the Doctor orders Stephen to stay behind and rest whilst he, Vicky and the Chumley go to the TARDIS to work on the power transfer. Once they leave, Stephen looks around the ship and the Rills ask him why he is acting so nervously. Stephen admits that he doesn't trust their benevolence and says that they could be like the Draven, only seeking to use the Doctor and the TARDIS for their own well-being. The Rills deny this and tell Stephen that if it came down to it, they would let the Doctor and the others leave on the TARDIS, as he has shown that his ideology is very close to their own, and it would be better if one of them survived instead of them all perishing. Stephen apologises and informs him of the Draven's plans to seize control of the ship. The Rills say that they still intend to take the Draven with them, but only if they remain confined for the time being. Stephen offers to help the Chumley set up the machine for the power transfer on his end, and the Rills happily agree. Back at the Draven ship, the disgraced soldier sets out on her task to destroy the Chumley. Using some sort of explosive device, she is able to eliminate it, but the area is suddenly struck by a small tremor, which is the first sign of the planet's disintegration. Maga and the others come out and they make their way towards the real ship. The Doctor and Vicky arrive at the TARDIS and begin to set up their equipment for the power transfer, and once they are successful, they return to the real ship. The Doctor says the power transfer should take about four hours, which is cutting the five-hour deadline very finely. The Rills suddenly announce the destruction of the Chumley and an escape of the Dravens. They inform the others that the Chumley guarding the equipment at the TARDIS should be fine and the rest of the Chumleys will be sent on patrol. They also promise to take the travellers to the TARDIS with plenty of time to spare. As they are talking, a Draven enters the room, but before she can do any damage, she is paralysed by a Chumley. 
Stephen and Vicky notice the doctor has gone missing and he calls out to them from the chamber where the Rills are staying. The doctor calls them in after the Rills grant them permission and after initially being taken aback by the gigantoid tusked heads and scaly bodied appearance of their new friends they discuss the nature of opinions based on appearance. They pass the time conversing until the alarm goes off indicating that the ship has been adequately recharged for liftoff. After thanking each other for their mutual help the Rills inform the travellers that a chumley will escort them back to the TARDIS and protect them until they take off. They say their goodbyes and begin their separate preparations to leave the planet. Outside, Mag and the remaining Dravens are easily held at bay by the Chumleys, due to their weapons being ineffective. They watch in despair as the real ship takes off. Maga sees the travellers making their way back to the TARDIS and orders the soldiers to take off after them. The Chumley covers their escape and Maga looks on in horror as the TARDIS dematerialises. Moments later, the planet explodes. The travellers are resting in the TARDIS as it travels through space and Vicky points out a nearby planet on the view screen, and they all wonder what is that could be happening on it. On the planet's surface, an astronaut wakes up in a state of shock. He seems confused, but when he draws his weapon, he seems to remember what his mission is. He must kill. End of the story. So that's the story recap for the first story of season three done. So we're now going to go over to Trisha for some trivia notes. Over to you. Thank you very much. So Galaxy 4, our first story of season three, was written by William Ems. This is William's only Doctor Who writing credit, though he was meant to write a second story, but he fell ill and was unable to complete it. William also wrote the novelization for this story which I always quite like when the writer of the story does the novelization as well. Yeah, it's always a nice thing. Personal touch. Mm. His other works include The Indian Tales of Rudyard Kipling, The Newcomers, Emergency War 10, Crossroads and Zed Cars. Yay! William passed away back in 1993. The director for the story is Derek Martinus. This is the first of six Doctor Who directorial credits for Derek. His other stories are Mission to the Unknown, the Tenth Planet, The Evil of the Daleks, The Ice Warriors, and Spearhead from Space. Mervyn Pinfield, sorry, go on. I was going to say, two of those stories are going to be a lot of fun to discuss. Yes, they are. Mm-hmm. Mervyn Pinfield, who we've discussed before, was originally hired to direct. Unfortunately, as the work was progressing, Pinfield was taken ill and was unable to continue. Derek was then brought in to replace him. This was subsequently Pinfield's last contribution to the programme before he passed away in 1966, as we've discussed before. Mm. The air date for the story was the 11th of September to the 2nd of October, 1965. Galaxy 4 is the earliest non-historical story to have missing episodes. The third episode, Airlock, was actually recovered in 2011, but no other episodes have been recovered. So, how did we watch it? Well, we relied on our old friends, loose cannon who have provided a reconstruction for this episode and i think if it's is it episode one or two that there's actually about a five minute section of complete footage uh, uh existing so oof, yeah uh, un- unlike reign of terror which was just like as i said i think maybe one or two clips especially that door opening and closing and this is the first time that i can think of where a lost story has actual long long going footage in it as well as being overall missing yeah well obviously like reign of terror had entire episodes that were yeah there 
Um, but of the missing episodes of Reign of Terror, there, there was nothing. So the BBC partially owns the rights to the Dravens as they were jointly created by William Ems and Verity Lambert. So we discussed particularly with Terry Nation that the writer who created a villain kind of has the rights to that character. Um, hence why Terry Nation has the rights to the Daleks and now his estate has the rights to the Daleks. But William Ems created the Dravens as male. Whereas Verity was the one who changed them to be female. And because of that change, BBC partially owns the rights to them. So technically mm. they could come back. Good girl Verity. Yeah. In the male version, Maga was originally named Gar. I don't know which name I prefer, to be honest. Um, I think... I think maybe MAGA sounds better. Yeah, me too. So Peter Purvis has actually been quite outspoken in his dislike for this serial, which apparently was originally written for Ian, Barbara and Vicky. He has frequently said that the character, that his character of Stephen was not well served because the hurried rewrites meant most of his lines were originally Barbara's, resulting in the feminization, quote unquote, of Stephen's character. Now, we'll talk this a bit more in our character discussion, but I didn't get that sense from watching the story. No, I, I didn't at all. But we'll see. Yeah. However, Peter wasn't the only one with issues with the story. All of the actors greatly disliked the scripts for the serial, and things got so heated that John Wilde, who was going to take over from Verity Lambert as producer, threatened to fire William Hartnell. And Maureen O'Brien's complaints actually hastened her exit from the show. That's a pretty ballsy statement to make. Uh, I'm going to fire the, the, the going to fire the doctor. Yeah, um, I would. I'd be very interested to know like what exactly was going on in the background because, like, you know, this isn't the strongest story ever. We'll get to that in a bit, but like, for things to get that bad between everybody. Mm. That and for your first story of the season that just sounds like a powder keg waiting to explode Yeah. so we'll move on to our cast so first we have Maga who's played by Stephanie Bidmead this is Stephanie's only Doctor Who acting credit her other roles include appearances in A Midsummer Night's Dream Jane Eyre, Coronation Street Little Women, Softly Softly Task Force and Zetkars very good Stephanie passed away back in 1974. Draven 1, and it's very hard to tell them apart when you're watching the reconstruction because obviously you don't know which one's which, but Draven 1 was played by Marina Martin. Again, this is her only Doctor Who acting credit, but her other acting credits include The Avengers, The Trunk, and The Odd Man. Draven 2 was played by Susanna Carroll. Again, only Doctor Who acting credit. Her other acting credits, though, include Detective, Top Secret, and The Man in the Mirror. I love Top Secret. If it's the movie <laughs> I'm thinking of, then I love Top Secret. Then we have Draven 3, who was also Draven 4, but was uncredited. So she was the Draven that got killed. We have Lynn Ashley. Again, this is her only Doctor Who acting credit. All of these women have women in Doctor Who once. Um, her other acting credits, though, include Emergency War 10, The Odd Man, The Saint, Casualty, and she also appeared in several episodes of Monty Python's Flying Circus. The Rills, 
the voice of is provided by Robert Cartland. This is the first of two Doctor Who roles for Robert. We'll see him again, or I suppose we'll see him for the first time in next week's story, Mission to the Unknown. His other acting credits include A Moment in Time, Emergency Ward 10 and Doom Watch. Robert passed away back in 2011. One thing that I'd like to uh, want to point out as well um, in terms of the recreation for this. So Loose Cannon did a great job with the what they had. And I think I read somewhere that there was only ever one picture of a reel because they didn't want it to be broadcast too much. They wanted it to be an actual surprise in the story. So it's just like that one image of the reel is just moved around in different places. It's photoshopped into different things. But as well in order to do some of the exterior shots what they did was they had someone put on a draven wig a shawl and just like stand staring off into the distance yeah and they did a really good job they did it's probably the most interesting reconstruction i've seen so far it is because i think as time goes on there was less and less like like we were given we were spoiled with marco polo with the Mm. amount of like telesnaps and production stills and promotional stuff that were taken and that Boris Hussein kept but as time goes on it becomes less and less and it actually the guys in Loose Cannon have a lot tougher job because they need to fill in the gaps with their own stuff so like you'll see when you watch like some of the the stories like the heads of the characters are photoshopped and put into like you know uh, different poses and sometimes they just dress up in the character's clothes and they stand you know with the back face in the camera um so again it was almost like doctor who in a sense of you know taking what you had around you to make memorable stories yeah no seriously um we've given them shout outs before but massive kudos to the guys at loose cannon i think he he almost single-handedly kept these stories alive Oh, a- absolutely! Like, and like we're now here doing a podcast about it. So, happy days. So each week we go through the summary, the trivia, and then we get on to the meat and bones, our character discussion. So, Paddy, I will hand it over to you. Mm-hmm. What did you think of the Doctor in this story? very interesting so kind of like the sense rights it's interesting or sorry it's kind of it's cool to see him interact with another alien species that he seems to have a good rapport with like Mm -hmm. once he gets to know the rills there's this meeting of the minds of like you know their ideologies and their belief systems and how they view other species in the the galaxy i thought it was really cool I, i like those moments in doctor who He's again almost James Bond esque in his calm, cool demeanor when he's being held hostage by Maga, uh, Mad Maga. <laughs> um, but then, like, there's a there's a bit of a darker side to him as well in this story. In that, so he's tampering with the atmospheric processor in order to save Vicky. So like, he's going to essentially cut off the air supply of the Rills. And I'm just wondering how badly would he have sabotaged it to get to get her back like to what to what extent yeah so the thing that i was curious about about that is did he know the extent of the importance of it Mm. do you know did he realize that that was their air supply 
Or did he think it was just part of a bigger system that he'll just sabotage this part of the system? Well, I think he noticed that it was our, it was an atmospheric processor, all right. So he knew that it would probably be in some way important to their ability to breed. But is it like a thing of where it becomes poisonous? Or is it just, you know, almost like um, the web planet and they had to wear the density jackets? Mm. It, does it just kind of make it, does it make it tougher to breed or is it actually kind of killing them? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I think he would have gone... Given his protectiveness of Vicky and mm. his, you know, love for her, I think he would have gone as far as he needed to go. Yeah, that's what I was actually going to ask you. Like, have we entered a stage in the Doctor where he will go as far as he needs to in order to save the people that he loves, cares and loves about? Or loves I think cares so. About? All right, and I also remember at the end, um, I thought it was, it was, I would have loved to have seen the surviving footage of it. But when the planet blows up with Maga and the Draven still there, and I was kind of go thinking that it's a bit you know cold blooded. But then I remember back to when, uh, back in the Daleks when they were begging the Doctor for mercy, and he was like, "Even if I wanted to, I can't." But the most important part of that sentence was, "Even if he wanted to." So, as kind of as gracious as he can be to a fallen foe there are times when the Doctor reaches his limit and I, it's always kind of curious to see what circumstances those limits are reached. Yeah, so I didn't really have too much written down for the Doctor here other than he did good. You know, it was a good, yeah, solid story for him, I think. Um, like you said, the the um, use of his scientific prowess is great. I didn't know you could transfer power from the TARDIS to another vessel. <laughs> good to know. Intergalactic jumper cables. <laughs> and how easily he holds his own with mm. MAGA. Joe, he did very, very well. I was also happy, now this may have just been the reconstruction, so I will caveat this a bit, but I was happy to see that he didn't recoil when faced with the yeah. rules. You know, they were like, oh, you don't want, we don't want you to see us because we're not very pleasant looking <laughs> or whatever. And he didn't seem to care, which I, which I liked. Thank you for not judging us. <laughs> <laughs> The only aspect of him I questioned in this story it wasn't even the air purifier bit because at the time they thought the Rills were a combative species, mm. right? The only aspect I questioned was his decision to leave Maga and the Dravens on a planet that was about to explode. This wasn't leaving them behind to try and repair their ship and escape in their own way. Mm. He deliberately left them on a planet he knew was going to explode within minutes. And whether they were nice people or not, and even taking into consideration his treatment of the Daleks and things like that, that was a bit much. You know, that is a death sentence. That's not a leave them thrown devices, let's not interfere any further than we already have. That is a death sentence, and he knows it's a death mm. sentence. And he left them there. And I'm really curious to know what the original script was like with Ian and Barbara meant to be there because I don't think Ian and Barbara would have put up with them being left behind. See, I, I, I honestly I I don't I honestly don't know because what's coming to my mind now is um Bennett in the rescue. Mm. And you know, the doctor is struggling with him 
and we, we have no idea what the doctor's intention is. Is it to subdue or is it to kill? But when the two Diodians, uh, or Diodians, Diodians, uh, appear, Bennett starts to back away, and it's clear that he's going to back away into into a chasm. He's going to, he's going to fall. But the doctor doesn't call anything out. So, I'm... I'm, and then when he went back to the others like he explained to them about what happened with Bennett and again Barbara and Ian maybe because they they obviously the severity of like what when they went through with Bennett they didn't really seem to comment on it or they didn't really kind of seem to call him on it so I'm wondering is would it have been the same scenario where there is a limit to how much goodwill the TARDIS crew are willing to show an enemy okay I accept that but I would challenge you a small bit in that there's a difference between Maga and the Dravens and Bennett. Bennett, to cover his own ass, wiped out an entire crew of a ship. And as far as anyone knew up until that last moment, an entire species. Yeah. There's a big difference between letting that species deal with him in their own way which is what the Doctor did. And leaving a xenophobe and three brain heads to be exploded. Yeah, no, th- yeah, like, there, there is a difference. But based on everything what Maga and the, the Dra- well, like, we'll talk about the Draven themselves, well, Dravens one, two, however many. We'll talk about them in a minute. But there, like, with Maga, it was a case of no matter what it was, she would never accept the olive olive branch, like from either the rills or the doc or the doctor. It was always a case of, I have to put myself, and by association my troops ahead of everyone else. Even even though we are the architects of our own demise, we still have to put ourselves ahead of you, and like we like we we'll, like in jumping the timeline, we're, we are going to see times where the doctor is very. Like uh, another incarnation of the Doctor would would lambast his this version of the Doctor for making that decision, and there are others that would have reached a very similar point in time in their lives where they would have done the same thing. Yeah, like the, for me, it was just a case of a definitive death sentence that 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 bothered yeah. me. Mm. You know, but like you said, I mean, you know, the Doctor is a complex character and he has limits that shift and move depending on the situation yeah and I guess as well like uh, killing like holding like excuse me killing someone that he really cares about as a hostage and also putting another one through potentially explosive decompression um, that that, those are kind of things that I can't imagine really fly well with him but again Mm -hmm. it just kind of adds to the complexity of the character and we might see more of it going over time like does he make very similar decisions when pushed to the limit. Yeah, exactly. So if we move on to our companions, so do you want to do Vicky first or Stephen first? Um, so we'll talk about Stephen because of the interesting component of, you know, he said that he felt the character was feminized a bit. So how about we start off with Stephen? Yeah, and like I said in the trivia section, I don't see that. Um, I can't think of a single line or a single action that Stephen does that would have been Barbara's. I think the only 
time it could be conceived of as a Barbara characterization in in is when he's trying to convince the Draven soldier to like, oh, give him a gun, or why don't you rise up against Mag, or why don't you do this, that, and the other. Um, that's the only time I could think of it. But even then, I could see Ian doing that type of thing as well. Yeah, I mean, I don't see Barbara trying to convince someone to give her a gun. I can see I can see her trying to convince someone to rise up against Maga, like you know yeah. that type of thing. But so I don't know. I think it might be. I can get where Peter Purvis is coming from in the sense of like you're giving me a rehashed script for other characters as opposed to giving me something for Stephen. Yeah. Yeah. I I can I can get the pissed off nature of that, but I wouldn't go so far as to say that his character is feminized in this. Yeah, I mean, and this is something that comes up a lot in in any TV show. Do you know, hmm. you have scripts that are written with particular characters in mind, and then those characters leave. Yeah. Do you know, like it was the same with with Star Trek: Next Generation. A lot of the season three early episodes were written for Doctor Pulaski and not Doctor Crusher, hmm. so Beverly had very little to do. Or because they weren't written for her. Hmm. Or even in um, uh, recasting a role, like um, one of the big ones, I suppose, that we first kind of encountered in our. Um, or a big moment in our nerddom was in the Avengers movie when Mark Ruffalo was recast as the Hulk, and I know yeah. I know the first time I watched it, I watched his performance, but I kept thinking of what Ed Norton would have been like in that movie. Yeah, but then obviously on subsequent rewatches, like I'm able to kind of go, no, wait, Mark Ruffalo is now doing his own thing. So like, it, yeah, it's it's not it is a norm. Like it's not a completely unique scenario. Yeah. Anyway, onto how Stephen is portrayed, though. Yeah. Let's, let's jump into that. Yeah. So, clearly, no one has brought him up to speed on their previous adventures yet because he's fully willing to go for a swim on a planet he has never visited before. <laughs> Dude, they have never been able to go for a swim anywhere because everywhere they go, the water is acid. Yeah. Um. Again, one thing that I, I noticed, I noticed that quite early on in the first episode is again with the quick to violence you know with the chumleys yeah when they didn't know what it was he immediately went to find a rock or something to hurl at it and okay it it does come in to help him a bit later against the draven but still we're still seeing that quick to anger quick to violence or like you could chalk it up as quick to action but like it, it doesn't seem very thought through, is, is my point. I'll bash you good. Yeah. Um, actually, I'm just kind of, I'm taking a look at my notes for Stephen there now, and I'm kind of re- reassessing them a small bit based on what you kind of said in the trivia. Hmm. So, do you have anything to say about, more about Stephen before I talk on that? Or the, the other thing I have about Stephen is just in relation to his ability to trust. Yeah. And you know, kind of going with the concept of this was originally written for Ian and Barbara and Vicky. I sort of get the sense that, you know, in many ways, I think some of his characterization is two people merged into one. Hmm. Because he was very, very quick to trust the Draven at the beginning. Yeah. But then he's super mistrustful of the Rills later, even though he knows the Draven have been lying. Yeah. So... Is that him trying to learn from his mistake? Is it a trust issue carried over from his isolation? 
I don't know, but that, that chalked, I chalked it up as being a bit weird and it literally was almost like two different characters in the same body. Or you know? maybe it's the whole, you know, the enemy of my enemy could still be my enemy. Yeah. yeah. Um, but even though like Vicky and the Doctor has assured him that the rules are kind, he's yeah. still like, oh yeah, and we give you the power and then what? Mm. We run out of time and then what? I'm like... Yeah, because like... I initially thought that I would I would love to have known how much of a gap there was between this adventure and their time in uh, the monk, mm. uh, or like or with the monk, not in the monk. That's just a whole different scenario. Uh, <laughs> uh, I actually I was uh, someone asked on a that f- uh, the fan page that we're on. Oh, what would your TARDIS look like? And I said I would look like a human. Can you imagine how freaked out people would see you emerging from outside another human being? <laughs> Uh, that's an ant-man versus thanos discussion yeah (laughs) the thanos solution um so but i was there kind of going i'd love to know the gap in time between the adventures because steven seems to have matured an awful lot based on like you know some of his interactions with um the draven and uh, maga but then when i realized that okay that's essentially two characters merged into one uh, with a few rewrites it's like right that makes a small bit more sense I suppose or not a small bit more sense but it's a bit more telling um, but there are, but that does lend itself to some really good moments from Stephen I think um, his when he's in the airlock it reminds mm. me it reminded me an awful lot of um, Test the Nerve the Sarah Jane Smith audio series I won't be mm. your I won't be your victim yeah. Um and he won't he refuses to submit to Maga's will because he doesn't want to be in her pocket when it's the doctor and Vicky or their lives are on the line. And the bit with the rills, it did feel like a very as our friends on Mission Log would say, you see Timmy kind of moment where it's like um f- first uh f- was it like it's first uh, impressions. Mm. But like I, I found it a lot easier to like Stephen in this story. But again, that now might be tempered now by the fact that it was a rewritten script for him. Yeah, there is one thing mm-hmm. that irritated the ever living shit out of me. Yeah, which is Stephen, stop going on about how long the energy transfer is going mm-hmm. to take. We get it. There's not a lot of time to spare. Just stop fucking mentioning it every two fucking seconds. How long do we have left now? And how long do we have left now? And how long? It's like, Jesus Christ. Is he one of those people that kind of goes, like, you know, how long is left? An hour. Ah, oh, that's not too bad. How long is left? 57 minutes. Oh, dear God, we're running out of time. It's like, how long is left in the energy transfer? Eight minutes. How long till the planet explodes? 12 minutes. Well, we don't have a lot of time. Yeah. But how long is left in the energy transfer? Seven minutes. How long is left till the planet explodes? 11 minutes. Well, we don't really have a lot of spare time. It's like, we fucking know, Stephen. <laughs> uh, so how about we leave Stephen with his time quandary and we move on to Vicky. Yes. Um, apparently Vicky can cut hair. Good well, to know. Well, you pick up certain skills, I suppose, like when you're traveling through time and space. Yeah. And of course, only Vicky could give killer robots a name like Chumbly's. Yeah, like, I'm convinced that if she was allowed to, like, the, the place would have a menagerie of every cute critter and robot they've encountered on their adventures. Like, you... But the thing is, most of them aren't cute. Like, you have Sandy on the planet Dido and Zombo or Zombo on Z- Vortis. Zombo. Who's yeah. a giant ant. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think the Chumleys are kind of cute. Yeah, the Chumleys are cute. The other ones, not so much, though. Yeah. 
I think she's really strong in this story. Hmm. Like, when she initially freaks out over the appearance of the Rills, she quickly gets over that fear. And, as usual, <laughs> is very quick to befriend them slash him. I, I don't know how that their consciousness works. I, know, I, I think there's... I think they've got, like, he is one spokesperson, but when they go into the room, there are a couple of Rills in there. Yeah. Yeah. So he's probably just, like, the captain of the ship. I do have a question, though. Yeah. Right, and this is more a question for Loose Cannon if they ever listen to this. I don't know if this is a, you know, uh, reconstruction thing. Is she wearing Barbara's dress? And if so, girl, too soon, <laughs> too soon to start wearing her clothes. It's a la- it's the Lando moment. But I was looking at the dress she was wearing, and I was like, is that Barbara's dress? <laughs> Paying homage to my fallen homie. <laughs> Barbara's not dead, dude. <laughs> well, type is relative, you know. Shut up. Barbara's never dead. She's never dead. Ever. Ever. No. Um, but yeah. Uh, no, I think I think this was a nice episode for Vicky. You know, she didn't do a whole lot, um, which is unfortunate. I, I keep saying that for Vicky, which is unfortunate. Cause she's a good character. I want to see her doing more. She is. Uh, the main focus for Vicky as a character in terms of like if you imagine Ian was the action man we had Mama Barbara Susan was the Susan <laughs> um, we're still defining who Stephen is so we won't put a label on that as yeah. of yet. but Vicky seems to be the girl who will befriend the creature that you don't think can be befriended yeah and she does do that in this story and she does it very well I am surprised she didn't the Chumley that takes them back to the ship mm-hmm. it takes them back to the TARDIS at the end I'm surprised she didn't want to take it with her particularly seeing as how she was so distressed at the idea of it killing itself once they had left I can imagine if the Chumleys were able to talk it would have said something like but if I go inside I would be unable to protect you from the forces outside <laughs> Yeah, but I'm surprised that she didn't want to take it with her. Oh, I, I'd say she probably did, but like you can imagine, like Stephen just kind of going that now, or even the doctor kind of going, "I'll buy you another one somewhere." <laughs> um, no, I I liked Vicky. Yeah, it's like Vicky. I think this is a really good story for Vicky. Like she shows really good bravery. Like she's shown plenty of like, she's shown bravery at other times, and we see it here again when she offers to be a hostage. Yeah, for someone that's clearly. Um, in, like that's clearly insane in terms of MAGA um, so yeah I think this was a great story for her and also she seems to have a really good empathy radar because of her evaluation of the Rills yeah yeah and I think we've given like the cat away now a small bit that you know Maureen O'Brien will be leaving the show very shortly um, and again it's just unfortunately another character that we're learning to love towards the end of their tenure and it's a shame but yeah. again thankfully Maureen has come back and has done some really good stuff with Big Finish yeah she has and, and you know it, it's great listening to her like even reading the novelizations and stuff like that she's been really good so if we continue on to our story based companions uh, what do you think of the Roombas crossed with the Michelin man so I've actually put them down as the Swiss Army Stay Puffed Rumba. Uh, <laughs> like, 
they're, they're they are what they are like they're just essentially like motor they, they look like those child's ring towers yeah uh which like r2d2's like arsenal of weapons um we're referring to the chumblies by the way in case anyone didn't pick up on that from our yeah. description yeah chumblies <laughs> um they are what they are like they're adorable nearly indestructible like they 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 even if though the fact that they're given commands by the rules they do seem to have like their own little personality quirks which i like they're like the, the R2 units or the astromech units in Star Wars so it's um, there's not really a whole lot you can say about the other that are like, they're just so gosh darn cute they're very cute it's weird so like you're saying like, they kind of have their own little personality and stuff but I almost like the fact that they can't communicate by themselves yeah so like they don't talk no which they're machines why would they need to <laughs> <laughs> you know um yeah. But yeah, I think they're a really interesting design. I love the fact that, like, um, you mentioned they're like a child's ring tower. But they sort of expand and collapse, depending on the need and stuff. I think they're a really interesting design. They're actually, you know, um, we spoke in the chase about how the mechanoids, they weren't the best design choice. And it's not surprising they never came back. Um, I'd quite be interested to see the Chumleys again. Yeah, I would. Like, I like, I would just love to see like a huge like robot death match between like the Chumleys, the Daleks, the Mechanoids, uh, whoever else were going to appear. Because I think the Chumleys got a fair shot. <laughs> so how about we move on to the Chumleys, uh, masters, creators, owners, owners. Yes. So on to the Rills. So, you know. This was clearly a don't judge a book by its cover. Yeah. Type of story, like you said. So they look horrific. <laughs> but they're super generous and honourable. And, you know, I see what you were doing there, Doctor Who. Nicely done. Nicely done. <laughs> I suppose most of the audience was probably like Stephen, waiting for them to double cross the Doctor. And mm. I love that they didn't. Yeah. I, I really enjoyed that too because again like so many science fiction shows have you being placed in between two warring factions and like you think one is good but they turned out they're the assholes but even the one that's good turns still out to be assholes you know yeah uh, you see it in everything you see it in Star Trek you see it in Stargate you see it in whatever um, talking about the reels at the moment is a small bit of a bittersweet experience for me why because uh, I have in my notes, right, that the Rills remind me of a character that appeared in a show I love, The Venture Brothers. Now, the Venture Brothers, unfortunately, as of a couple of weeks ago, was cancelled. Oh. And I'm gutted. But what happened in The Venture Brothers was um, this alien appears in the guise of one of the, the main character's fathers. And, like, you know, the guy hasn't been seen, like, you know, in 20 years or longer. And it's like... Um, he starts giving out to him, like saying, you know, you like assumed the present, you know, the appearance of my father. You're such a fucking prick. So he goes, fine, you want to see what I really look like? And he just reveals himself. And you don't actually see it. You just see everyone's horrified reaction. And it's just like, you know, look, I just showed you what, you, what I look like. And you nearly crapped your pants. Except for that guy, he actually did crap his pants. <laughs> so that's what the whole, like, in the long run story, that's what the rills were like. It's a whole thing of, my God, you're so hideous. I'll talk to you, but please, like, stay behind the screen. Yeah, when I first saw the rills, because obviously you were saying there's really only one image that the guys in Loose Cannon sort of zoom in yeah. and out and move it around to let you see different parts of yeah. 
the Rill singular. <laughs> yeah. Um, at one point, though, it zooms in on... I don't know what's meant to be an eye or a mouth or just a sucker. I, I don't know. Um, but it actually reminded me of the original series Star Trek episode, The Man Trap. Do you know the sort of actual oh, the, appearance the, of the salt monster? The salt monster, yeah. Do you know his mouth? Yes. It kind of reminded me of that. Yeah, I, I can see that's a small bit. I'm, I'm actually making the face now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You know what I mean, though? Yeah. Um, it kind of reminded me of that. The, the thing that I love about the Rills, and again, species, I would be so interested to meet again. I mean, th- imagine the 13th Doctor meeting the Rills. That would be just a lovely. Yeah. Like, very sweet. Is the fact that they are so pure and genuine. That, like, they don't even hold it against the Doctor that he was uh, trying to essentially kill them by messing with their environment. They understood why they why he did it, and they moved mm. on. I it's it's that's what I think is kind of really interesting about the the rills is the fact that they are they they state by nature they are pacifists, yet they have like very powerful weaponry ready to go when they need it. It's like they uh, when we come we come for bear, you know. Yeah, but um no, I think they're lovely. I love the fact that they're like so they're so honourable. I do believe them like when they're talking to Stephen and Stephen's like oh and what if we run out of time and they're like we won't let you run out of time yeah we will stop the power transfer and you can leave if we think there isn't going to be enough time um and I you, and you genuinely believe that with them yeah but in the meantime please shut the fuck up and stop asking about the time every five yeah, minutes yeah you're fucking irritating one last thing I had about the Rills was that they must be hugely popular at intergalactic conferences due to their ammonia atmosphere requirements. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I have experiences with ammonia. It it messes with you, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> yeah. Um, I can see the music. Yeah, no. There is nothing more mental than walking home in a dark night after been sniffing ammonia for four hours and you realise you're as high as a fucking kite. <laughs> It was purely for science reasons, people. Oh, no, it, no, it, it totally was. <laughs> Just in case I was thinking they were in stiffy ammonia. When I was a student in school, we yeah. had a parents' night, and I was doing an experiment that involved ammonia. And my teacher didn't tell me that I should keep the ammonia in the bottle and only pour out the little bits I needed. So I had it in a beaker beside me for four hours. And then when I was done, again, because my teacher was busy, great teacher, but she was busy, I poured it down the drain and then added water to it down the drain. So yeah, I walked home and I was essentially smelling colours. It was a bit mental. (laughs) You're nearly as bad a scientist as Ian Chesterton is. I was 16. (laughs) (laughs) What the fuck is his excuse? The The worst was though, when I went back to school the following day because I sat at that desk and there was this constant, like, ammonia vapor coming up from the sink. <laughs> uh, I'm coming oh. for you, Trisha. So, uh, how about we move on to the people that have caused all this misery? Uh, Maga and the Dravens, which yeah. is like a really, we do, really we do weird the, band. We do the Dravens first. Uh, so, yeah. one, two, and three. And then, then we can go to yeah. the xenophobic bitch after that. So, one, two, and three. So... I think they're an interesting creation. 
they are and like they right so this point i'm going to make about them kind of stems from maga herself a small bit Mm. uh so basically maga reminds me of um the hyperboreans from the conan uh mythos and that they created like essentially servitor soldiers uh gurnaki i think they were uh they're essentially just kind of they're they're meat shields that's all they are like the way the maga described them the, that the dra- the draven soldiers are essentially clones that they're taught just to follow orders but not strategize that's immediately what came into my head yeah i mean it's an interesting concept that you're breeding people for a specific mm. purpose and then how that can limit them because even maga herself notices she's like this is actually you know you yeah i need you it, to do things without me telling you what specifically to do what I will say is that I'm pretty sure like that if they were given any bit of a, like a strategic kind of brain wave in their uh, creation, their first independent thought would be, let's shoot this bitch and get out of here ourselves. <laughs> Definitely. Um, unfortunately, and I mentioned this a little bit when we we're doing the trivia, because we're watching a reconstruction, um, it's hard to tell them apart. So I can't note anything down for one, two or three. Because with the reconstruction, you don't know which one's actually talking. You don't know which one's which. No. So it does kind of lend itself to the whole fact that they're meant to be clone soldiers. Yeah. Although what I will say is I'm I'm not sure whether I should be or shouldn't be threatened of an army of Dusty Springfield lookalikes. (laughs) My thing is, I don't know if I should feel threatened by an army that's kept alive on lettuce. (laughs) <laughs> yeah it's like where's my like, give me just a breast and a bun give me a fucking battered sausage give me some meat not even give me give me protein <laughs> <laughs> give me other things other than lettuce for fuck's sake but yeah battered sausage would be nice though <laughs> you're lamenting the fact that the chipper was closed last night I am really lamenting the fact that the chipper was closed last night <laughs> Well, then I won't lord it over you, the fact that the chipper we took out from wasn't closed last night. <laughs> oh, screw you. <laughs> uh, so, uh, is there anything more to be said about the dragon, or shall we move on to Maga? No, we'll move on to Maga. Cool. Um, so, yeah, as I said, that she reminds me of the Hyperboreans, like Dave, they, they're a superior race, but they get very bored and very... Um, kind of listless towards life you know mm. uh, and wish Maga it's it's kind of very hard to get a proper read on her because right she's xenophobic and I don't think I don't put it beyond a shadow of a doubt that she's like she's the only one in that race that's xenophobic no they all seem to be like xenophobic fucking pricks yeah. uh, or in this case words that's not played for radio <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah so but like she comes like she's homicidal she's xenophobic homicidal i think she's very irrational uh clearly they don't believe to the whole you know he the she who fights and runs away lives to fight another day type thing because a smart commander would have taken the rules up on their offer got on board a ship and then use it as a sort of a thing of we need to attack the rills because they insulted her honor so in that regards because there's no other um, non-clone officer on board for me she comes across as very incompetent 
Yeah, I'd agree with you on that. So, you know, I agree that she's a total xenophobe. Um, and what's actually... What's interesting about her is... So I don't even call it interesting, it's reprehensible. Um, is that she uses xenophobic fear-mongering to keep the Draven soldiers in line. Like, the way she describes what the Rills will do to them. Mm. That's just... A, it's untrue. Because she was the one that killed Draven for. But also, like, that's fucking messed up. But it's also, like, also it's kind of really contradictory because like, she said that the, the the soldiers are bred to simply, like, follow instructions. So why is she creating this elaborate lie about the real when all she really needs to do is tell them they're our enemy? Yeah, but instead she wants them to almost like buy into this xenophobic fucking hate fest that she has going and the thing that I find interesting is with our heroes so with the Doctor Stephen and Vicky obviously they look similar but they're not Draven right Mm -hmm. but she she seems to understand that like okay there are other humanoids that live on other planets whatever but like if she knew like looking into the future right Mm mhm if she knew that the Doctor was a Time Lord and what he could do, would she have gone fucking xenophobic, racist bitch on them as well? Or is the, See, o- think, is the only thing that saved them the fact that they look like her? I, th- I think it might be the fact that it's the humanoid features. Hmm. Uh, do you know I just realised um, about Maga and the Draven? That they are long uh, Muppet Treasure Island, Long John Silver, when he's been given the black spot, mm. and he's then trying to convince them, you know, like, oh, the great big, you know, like black gates of hell are opening, and they're like, oh, you're so handsome, you're so precious, we'll follow you, we'll do. It. That sort of reminds me of. Yeah, the the, the main note I have about Maga mm-hmm. is if we compare her to the other villains that we've had, mm-hmm. I think Maga is possibly one of the most reprehensible people we have seen on the show yeah up to now she's up up there with Bennett yeah exactly I think it's her and Bennett are tied with us like the Daleks and this is using a little bit of future information I think we know the Daleks are bred to be the way they are mm-hmm. in many ways they don't have a choice yeah you know? but like I said the way she uses her fear mongering the way that like like you said, she won't even let the fact that it's good strategy to take the rules up on her offer. She won't even take that into consideration. They're different and they're wrong, so they have to die. She can't leave with them. She has to steal their ship and take it that way. And it's like she is just such a reprehensible being. Um while I don't agree with the doctor leaving her behind on a planet to explode, I'm not sad that he did. Do you know? I just don't agree with it from his perspective. Ah, uh, maybe he should have just like you know picked her up and just left her like you know here's another desolated planet that's not going to explode. So try and get out of that one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That that would have been fine. I've been fine with that. Um, but yeah, I'm not disappointed that we're never going to see her again. Yeah, or hopefully any of the other Draven because. Although, wait, no, I think they do appear in a crowd scene later, 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 later on. Oh, well. Okay. Yeah, I, th- I think, I think, I could be um, misremembering, but we'll see. 
Is this based on all alien species wearing the exact same clothes? No. <laughs> but see, this is the thing now, right? Since my very first thing were about the Thals, where I said, like, I hate society, every group of people that we've seen wearing the same clothes have been in a military capacity. So it's a uniform. <laughs> so that's okay. <laughs> or in the sense rights thing, it's like their, their differentiation on their clothing. Yes, they all have to wear the same green, like, you know, like grey spacesuit or blue spacesuit whatever the colouring was pajamas. but they have sashes pyjamas but they have sashes to indicate what their ranks are or what their uh, you know their role in society is so again that's okay but when you've got everyone that's dressed head to toe the exact fucking same it's just <laughs> no God, just go away <laughs> I'm just going to do a golem and just go leave now and never come back So now that I've stopped my raging about similarly dressed societies, uh, how about we give our overall marks for the story? Cool. So I have to be honest, I found the story to be a bit meh. I, I wouldn't blame that on the reconstruction. You know, we've seen no. with Marco Polo that reconstructions can be really engaging. Yeah. And even like the missing episodes of the Crusade were really engaging. So I wouldn't blame the reconstruction for that. And I don't think we ever do bring the reconstruction into our scoring metrics. It's just, it's the story, the writing, the characters is what really hooks us. Yeah, except for yeah. Planet of Giants. Yeah, well, that, that was editing. That was different. Yeah. Um, so I just found it a bit meh. I guess I just didn't bite into the danger and the stakes. You know, maybe it's because, like, oh, we have seven minutes for the power transfer and the planet will explode in 11. Maybe it's just the fact that, like, the concept of the planet exploding was a bit a bit of a weird topic like it's an interesting cause for concern but like i said stephen constantly counting it down just fucking irritated me and i didn't really think that there was a real climax to the story the climax of the story was stephen shut the fuck up about the countdown <laughs> um you know we didn't have any face off really with the dragons at the end that provided any real you know closing off yeah. to, I suppose I just, it was sort of left there to explode um mm. <laughs> will they be back next week no they're dead <laughs> no they're dead um like I said you know the interesting thing that I've been pondering since I watched it was obviously the doctor's choice to leave them on the planet to explode I think that was really interesting but to be honest I found myself because I watched the story first and then I did the trivia research so I didn't know till after about Peter Purvis's thoughts on the fact that the story was originally written for Vicky, Ian and Barbara. And I promise I will eventually stop bringing up Ian and Barbara, but contextually it makes sense in the story to mention them. I am really curious to know what this story would have been like if it had been Ian and Barbara. So I particularly want to know what this original script was like for one thing, if nothing else. Marga, Maga versus Barbara. Because yeah. given the fact that this is a matriarchal society, the Draven, you know, Margaret deferred to the doctor because he was the oldest and whatever. But I think had Barbara been there, hmm. it would have been very interesting to see those two go toe to toe. Oh, it would have been a battle for the ages. Yeah. And I'm kind of pissed I didn't get to see that. 
you know like I have nothing really against Stephen in this story and I have nothing against Vicky in this story and I have nothing against the Doctor in this story I just think overall the story was just meh so for me I gave it a 2.5 so uh, two weeks in a row now we're at the exact same score oh really yeah I have a 2.5 as well Uh, I like the concept I think the concept is great uh, the execution however not so great like you I never get a sense of urgency from the story because like the Chumleys are nearly indestructible mm. and the Dravens they're kind of they're inept and Maga is just uh, you know she's inept and they just seem incapable of success so I'm I'm never concerned for anyone in the story the only things that I kind of really liked about it were like the progression of Stephen, which at the time was just me kind of noticing the story. But now that I know that's a bit of Ian and Barbara in it, I'm still going to give it the same score because it's nice to see character progression. Mm. And I think the Chumneys are adorable. I, <laughs> I also like the Rills and I thought the Rills, again, the Rills were very fascinating, whereas like the Draven, not so much. So I think that this is a very I think this is the first time I would say that you know this is a very skippable skippable story I'd agree yeah like like we do have some stories in the the first 16 that you know we're not hugely fans of but we would never say yeah give it a miss you know even the space museum which was my lowest ranked yeah episode I still wouldn't say to skip the Space Museum because it's a great Vicky story. Yeah. Or even with Planet of Giants, like when like we said that, you know, that the ending, no matter what way they did it, it wasn't great. Mm. But like, you know, you could read the first, you could watch the first two episodes and you could read the book afterwards and you'd be happy. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that for me that this is a bit of a skippable story. Yeah. So not the best start to season three. No, not, unfortunately not. We'll see if it picks up next week when we'll be going on a mission to the unknown. Ooh, Ooh. spine tingling. (laughs) So we'll see you next week, guys. Bye. Bye.